Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another Fisher Investments Market Insights podcast, where we discuss our firm's latest thinking on global capital markets and current events. My name is Naj Srinivas, Group Vice President of Corporate Communications here at the firm, and today I'm joined by Senior Research Analyst, Christo Barker. Hello, everyone, and thank you, Naj, for having me today. Thanks for being here, Christo, for making the drive down the mountain from Woodside. Hey, anytime. So, Christo, today I want to talk about the yield curve. I've heard a lot about the yield curve in the news, and obviously our clients and listeners have probably heard about the yield curve in the news over the course of the last couple of weeks. There seems to be a lot of consternation in the headlines about the yield curve inverting. So let's just start out with what is the yield curve and why is it important? Yeah, yeah. So I I think that's a good place to start is just understanding what the yield curve is and just fundamentally what it typically means and just walking through the steps of really what makes the yield curve important and why people are actually paying attention to it. So what the yield curve is, is ultimately the long term rate, the 10 year treasury relative to whatever the short term rate is. And that's what we use is about the three month treasury. So essentially what the, 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 the spread is between the long-term rate and the short-term rate is bank profitability. Essentially, over the long term, you can get a good idea of what banks' profitability in terms of what they're willing and, and able to make a loan at. And at the short end of the curve, it's the complete opposite. So when you give banks your deposits, they typically pay you some sort of yield. So that's their so savings account. Yeah, your savings account or your checking account. And I don't know if any anyone remembers this, but uh, uh, CDs, uh, certificates of deposit, same sort of thing. So all of, all of these different aspects of you're, you're giving your money to the bank and expecting some sort of yield in return, that's the bank cost. So relative to whatever they can actually lend on the, on the long end, so that's your proxy for your 10-year yield. The difference between the, those two, that's your spread, and that's typically the, the profitability that the bank makes on a loan. So another way to look at that, and this is the example I bring up in client events, is well, what is your 30-year fixed mortgage costing you right now relative to what your savings account yields you? And that's bank profitability. Typically, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to kind of frame it in terms of how people actually live their lives. So what's going on with the yield curve now and why is it getting so much attention? Because I feel like the yield curve even 10 years ago wasn't something that was widely discussed in the headlines of major newspapers, probably only discussed in the coffee rooms of economics departments. Now we're hearing about it almost every day. Yeah, yeah. So it's gone from kind of obscure aspect of some some you know nerdy bankers and what they talk about behind the scenes, and it's it's really made headline news for the, the last call it couple of decades now. And the reason being is because historically, when the yield curve does invert, and that's basically when long term rates are below what short term rates are, and that is essentially a bad omen of uh, or a sign to come. Of, of where banks are really no longer willing to go out and make loans because when the yield curve inverts, it's basically saying that banks can actually, they don't make any profit uh, on that new loan that they're about to make. And, and of course, that's a bad thing because lending is the oil in the engine of the economy. So if banks aren't making loans profitably, they're not going to do any lending, economic growth yeah. dries up. Yeah, that, that's a great way to think about it because... Essentially, if you lose access to credit, if you're a corporation or an individual, it it just makes you less willing to go out and do just about everything. So whether you you, want to go out and buy a home, if a bank's not willing to lend to you, you're 
really not going to have the ability to buy that home. Similar sort of situation with cars, but also from a corporate perspective too. So a lot of corporations, they use banks to get you know, access to credit to, to pay their, their bills and to go out and buy new things. And when they lose that access to credit, it's a pretty bad sign looking forward for the broad economy. So where are we right now with the yield curve? I know it's inverted, but is it a shallow inversion? Is it a deep inversion? What are we looking at? Yeah, so, so right now the, the yield curve has inverted. And again, historically, people get pretty worked up and nervous because it has been a pretty good precursor to what happens to the global economy looking forward because it is this proxy for bank willingness to lend. So right now you do have that shallow inversion. And again, it's very shallow in terms of a couple of basis points. And typically when you have these sort of shallow inversions, it's not a really bad omen for the next six to 12 months. And so right now, again, this shallow inversion of a couple of basis points is is one of those things that the media is getting incredibly worked up about right now. Do yield curve inversions ever steepen out again? Does it always imply a very bad thing for the economy or for stock markets how does this work typically yeah so typically what happens is kind of the the nuance of the the yield curve inversion is short rates are rising and long rates are either rising slower or they're pretty flattish right now we have a very different sort of yield curve inversion where you're not seeing short rates rising you're seeing long rates falling And the only other time that you've seen that in really the history of these yield curve inversions is going back to uh, 1998. And that was a very brief and short-lived yield curve inversion. And if you think about what the market did in 1999 and then into 2000, that was an absolutely great time to be invested in the stock market. So Christo, a moment ago you mentioned that generally speaking, you get an inverted yield curve because maybe short rates are rising and long rates are not rising as fast or long rates are falling. Today, we're in an environment where long rates are are falling. They're actually much lower than, say, shorter term yields are at, which is giving us that inverted yield curve. What is it that's causing longer rates to fall right now? Yeah, so there's a couple of things happening right now. And one, uh, and and first and foremost, I, I think the most important one here is fear essentially. People are very nervous about the potential for a uh, bear market or a recession on the horizon. And when folks get nervous about things, they tend to shed stocks and they tend to move into bonds. And flight to safety. Flight to safety, exactly. So, So when people are nervous, they tend to buy into the bond market more than the stock market. And what that does is it actually drives down yields because price and yields have that inverse relationship in the bond market. So because folks are nervous and a little bit more kind of scared than they would normally be at this point in the cycle, you're seeing this flight to safety, which is driving down bond yields. And the other side is, is really what you're seeing kind of uh, overseas and the presence of negative rates and the ongoing quantitative easing programs that you see in places like Japan or negative rates across Europe. So the, these are having sort of cross-current trends of, of really driving more investors out of, of those markets and to the United States where they can actually get a better absolute yield. Why would I invest my money for five years or 10 years in something that's yielding close to nearly nothing when I can invest it in the United States, which at least on a 10-year basis is yielding me 1.5%, but still a risk-free rate? 
What one and a half sounds great when you compare it to Japan, which is zero for a thirty-year bond. So it's just one of those things on a relative basis. It just makes a little bit more sense to to shed your domestic investment if you're a foreign investor and move to a place where you can actually get a little bit of real absolute yield. What's going on on the short end of the yield curve? Because we've actually seen short rates come up. Have banks borrowing costs also come up? Because I mean, it seems to me when I think about my savings account, that's not yielding any more than it used to be. So what's going on in the short end today that's a little different than it has maybe been in the past? Sure. Yeah. And I actually think this is the most important part that, that we haven't hit on yet in that typically what happens as short rates start to rise is most investors start to see that in, in their deposit accounts. So in your CDs, your money market mutual funds, your checking accounts and your savings accounts, you start to see the your deposit rates start to come up and you start to get a little bit of, little bit more money. And what's remarkable about this time around, we've had interest rates come up from basically zero and they rose all the way to about two and a half percent. Is anyone really getting that two and a half percent in their in, in their savings account or their CD? It, it's, it's really hard to find that these days. And so what we've done is we've really looked under the hood and seen how much of that is actually being passed on to depositors and you're really not seeing that happen. So uh, when short rates rose about two and a half percent, you only saw the aggregate cost of, of really bank funding come up about 40 basis points. So less than a half a percent. Why is that? And, and there are a couple of factors at work here, but the most important one, and you may recall our, our take and what we've said about quantitative easing. We're not fans of it. And quantitative easing could have some potential unintended consequences around uh, uh, down the road. And that's really where we are today. We are experiencing that unintended consequence of quantitative easing. So if you think about the value of quantitative easing and you just roll it all up, it rolls up to about one point three trillion dollars and of course you're you're referring to the feds program of going out and buying long dated assets off of bank balance sheets following 2008 and the financial crisis and and of course the stated intent was to boost aggregate demand by reducing interest rates but there was also all of these other consequences as a result that we're just starting to discover now yeah exactly and and the the mechanism that they used to actually execute that program uh, they, they created something called excess reserves and so excess reserves were essentially the way that they were allowed to go out and buy these long dated assets and the remnant of that is still just sitting on bank balance sheets so you have essentially uh, a trillion and change of this money that was created by the Fed that is just basically parked on these bank balance sheets. And because you have so many more deposits than you do loans within the banking system, how a bank works is if they need to go out and, and they want to make a new loan, they need to have some deposit liquidity to actually back that, to, to, to fund that loan. But in an environment where you have far more deposits than you do really that, that, that loan, you don't really need to go out and compete for new deposits to make a new loan. So, so in this environment where the, the, the Federal Reserve is raising short rates, where you had over the last couple of years, you, you have an environment where you have far more deposits than you do loans. And so as those short rates come up, banks didn't need to go out and compete for loans because they already had all of the deposits that they need and they still do today. 
So that's the mechanism that, that is really different about this sort of yield curve inversion at the short end. There's no competition for deposits. And of course, banks also have a small incentive to keep those excess reserves on their books. Of course. Interest on excess reserves. So that's really the, the incentive that banks are, are really given by the Federal Reserve in order to really get free money, essentially. And that's, the, that, that's one of the, the, the key metrics as to why you're seeing all of this excess deposit liquidity not, not really making its way out into the system. So it sounds like there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with the yield curve this time around. What are some other things that we look for as risk factors? Yeah, so I would say that the yield curve is one of the many factors that we look at that is a pretty, pretty good gauge of overall access to credit. Uh, but the yield curve is, is, is certainly not the only thing that we look at. What we like to do is when we look at the, these really important factors like access to credit is, is we like to build a mosaic of all of the different things that, that typically give you a good sign of whether or not a bank is willing to go out and make you a loan. And the yield curve is just one of those. So if you look at the other factors that we actually cover, access to credit is still really good. So some of the other factors that we look at are things like the senior loan officer survey. So the Federal Reserve conducts a quarterly survey with uh, basically every senior banker across the entire country. And they ask them a couple of questions. And one of the most important questions they ask is, are you more willing this quarter than you were last quarter to make a loan? What is your overall willingness to go out and make a loan to a business, to a individual, to for the purchase of a house, what have you? And what we're seeing there is banks are not tightening their credit standards at the moment. They're, they're maintaining the, the current kind of status quo and uh, you're, you're seeing credit flow pretty regularly. So another factor that we look at is, is something called the leading credit index. Um, you've probably heard us talk about the LEI, the Leading Economic Indicator Index. This is a subcomponent of the LEI, and what it does is a very sort of similar thing where it rolls up a bunch of different uh, access to credit metrics. And when you see a seizing up of access to credit, the Leading Credit Index will spike upwards. You're seeing the exact opposite right now. You're actually seeing one of the lowest readings in this index this entire cycle, meaning access to credit is still really good for, for just about everybody. And there's a bunch of other factors that we look at too. And for the most part, all of these other factors are basically saying the same thing. In that access to credit, if you, if you really want it, you can get it and banks are willing to go out and make that loan. Well, Christo, any other thoughts you want to share with our listeners today? So I would say that we are very cognizant of the yield curve inversion and it's something that we're going to continue to monitor and we're also going to continue monitoring all of these other factors related to access to credit because this is a very important factor particularly as you get later and later in this economic cycle so again we are, are ever cognizant of the yield curve inversion but we're going to be uh, really vigilant at looking at all of these other sort of access to credit uh, metrics just to make sure that we're not missing something out there but right now, we, we still don't think that's problematic. We still think this bull market has some more room to run. Indeed we do. Indeed we do. Well, Christo, thanks again for being here with us today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. For more, please visit marketminder.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. 
Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. The content of this podcast represents the opinions and viewpoints of Fisher Investments and should not be regarded as personal investment advice. No assurances are made we will continue to hold these views, which may change at any time based on new information, analysis, or reconsideration. Copyright, Fisher Investments, 2019.